0: Okay, this is a stone number 12. Remember the stones that need to be removed from the highway. Isaiah 6210, preparation for the Lord. This is part two concerning leaders. And I want to start with an example, a a pastor that I knew. um, He told me this this story about himself, that he, uh, one Saturday morning, he was taking his little son to his soccer game. And uh, to get to the location, he had to get up on the freeway. And, he's, and as he's going down the freeway, of course, it's not a lot of traffic. It's, it's Saturday morning. And uh, a big old kind of jacked up pickup truck uh, speeds up, passes him, and sort of cuts in front of him. And uh, it upset him. He got a little, kind of ticked about that. And so he changed lanes, and he passed the guy in the truck and then cut in front of him. Well, the guy in the truck didn't like that. <laughs> and so he changes lane, speeds up, and cuts in front of my pastor friend. And here they go down the freeway doing this to each other, speeding up, cutting in front of each other. Finally, the guy in the big pickup truck pulls alongside him and points to like get off at the next exit. So they both exit the freeway. They're pulling along, you know, upside alongside the uh, the feeder load, come to a stop, and as he's jumping out of the car, his little boy says to him, that's it, Daddy. You go tell him about Jesus. <laughs> yeah, he wasn't going to tell him about Jesus. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I understand none of us are perfect. None of us. I know some pretty godly guys, but they're not perfect. There's only one person who's perfect. His name is Jesus. The rest of us are far from it. Like Paul, the closer you get to him, the more you realize. I'm the chief of sinners. Truly, that's not just a slogan. It's not something to put on a t shirt or a bumper sticker. It's reality. So, a lot of leaders don't seem to have that idea. So, I want to remind you what Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians, chapter 12. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited due to these surpassingly great revelations that the Lord gave me, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace, my empowerment is sufficient for you. For my power, you could even say my presence, is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul writes, I will boast all the more gladly not about my big ministry and I'm a big time apostle and I've written most of the New Testament. I'll boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, my failures, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Jesus' sake, I delight in weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, Then I am strong. So based on what Paul says here in 2 Corinthians, how does the person you're following measure up? Is he like Paul? Or is he like the super apostles? The person you listen to the most, your your favorite preacher on YouTube or whatever. What's he like? Do you even know? What kind of house does he live in? What kind of car does he drive? How much money does he make? What is he really like? He may look good on TV. He may sound good. His theology may be pretty solid. It may be very inspirational. But that's not the measurement. That's not the fruit Jesus is talking about. He's talking about character. Americans hate this perspective, though. To Americans, even Christian Americans, success is up into greater and bigger and better things, bigger churches not downhill into weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and difficulties. Such things are for those who have, quote, issues. And the church prefers leaders who are winners, who have their act put together quite well, who look good on stage you know, know how to say it. it looks like a TED Talk. There are those who proudly claim they teach the blessed life. I pointed this out before by which they mean the complete opposite of what Paul said is the true blessed life. Now, Paul continues this, quote, crazy talk by writing this. Further, and this is in Philippians 3, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and and who put no confidence in the flesh, in worldliness, in carnality, in the standards of the world, the philosophies of this world. Though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee. And as for zeal, persecuting the church. And as for righteousness based on the law, I was faultless. But whatever was to, whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Jesus. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I wonder what that really meant in his life. I consider them dung. The Greek word is more vivid than that. That I may gain Jesus and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Jesus, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Jesus. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so, somehow, attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained all this, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but this one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us, then, who are mature, truly mature, should take such a view of things. And if you, if you, on some point, you think differently, that too, God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join together in following my example. And just as, as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. Persecuted, suffering, going downhill, not going up. For, as I've often told you before, and I'll tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Not necessarily theologically, but by their lifestyle. They live the big American lifestyle. Their destiny is is destruction. Their God is their stomach. And their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things, the world thinks is valuable, and they bring it into the church of all places. Leaders who do this, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we are eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus, who, by the power that enables Him to bring everything under His control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they too will be like His. Glorious body. Without suffering, without going down, without there being some sort of dying to self, no leader can know Jesus of Nazareth truly. They can know some stuff about him. They can even preach about him. They can talk the talk. But when they're not walking the walk, when they're not living the life of self denial, they're not the right guy. I don't care how handsome, how good, how Theologically accurate, they may seem, they are false. In fact, in fact, the exact opposite is true. The more successful by the world's standards a leader is, the less he knows the real Jesus and the less of the power of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, not demonic spirits, who can duplicate some of it, is expressed through him. This is a fact. Like two plus two is four. Does this mean that such a leader doesn't manifest certain spiritual powers? No, but they do, because Satan is the one giving them some degree of power, which results in deceiving even the elect. Do we really think when Jesus warned about that that it wouldn't happen here in this country? It is already happening. Congregations, leaders, It's not the Holy Spirit. It's the enemy. At that time, Jesus said in Matthew 24 If anyone says to you, Look, here is the Messiah, or there he is, do not believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets, false leaders, false teachers will appear and perform great signs and wonders. Great signs and wonders to deceive if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you ahead of time. We've been warned. Church, we've been warned. Why aren't we paying attention? The living God's power is made perfect in weakness, not in any sort of strength, and definitely not in American versions of strength. Shouldn't every godly leader of Jesus' bride in this country say in relation to how they're living life, not just in how they're doing ministry. What Paul said, follow my example as I follow the example of Jesus. 1 Corinthians 11. The blatantly obvious actualities are that the vast majority of leaders in this country are living nothing like the way Paul lived, which is why he wrote the following. 1 Timothy 3. Now the overseers to be above reproach Faithful to his wife, temperate, self controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, and not a lover of money. When a leader's lifestyle has more in common with the American dream than with the fasted, self denying, downhill lifestyle of the kingdom, he is not a godly man or a leader, no matter how good his teaching, how many books he's written, how sharp his physical appearance, how popular he is, or how anointed he appears to be, or how wonderful his personality and demeanor. Now I need to say something about how Jesus trains the people he calls to perform some leadership among his people. Attending a Bible college or seminary means nothing to Jesus. And it's not that learning some theology is wrong, but having lots of theology is not evidence that Jesus of Nazareth called the person to the assignment of leadership. Further, the training Jesus puts those he has chosen through is very different than what churchianity says people need. Therefore, one of the most important trainings Jesus puts those he's chosen, what he puts them through, can be called the desert. Abraham spent time in the desert. Moses spent time in the desert. Joseph spent time in the desert. David spent time in the desert. Many of the prophets spent time in the desert. John the Baptist spent time in the desert. Jesus spent time in the desert. Paul spent time in the desert. That's a a biblical principle. Remember, pretty much everything Jesus does that he's doing, he brings it in from the desert. If you're following a leader who has not come in from the desert, good luck. And as for true godly, as for a true godly leader, is someone who keeps on being filled, that is, drenched and saturated with the Holy Spirit, and thus follows the Holy Spirit, manifesting the character of Jesus. It's the fruit, the fruit of Jesus, not just the anointing. Sadly, It is extremely difficult to find such people today in this country who are, in fact, consistently manifesting the character and the power of the Holy Spirit as a lovesick, humble, obedient follower of the Jewish bridegroom king who serves his purposes instead of their own. Lastly, speaking of the leaders in his day, because this is nothing new, this has gone on for centuries, Isaiah said this, the leaders of his day, they're dogs with mighty appetites. They never have enough. They're shepherds who lack understanding. They all turn to their own way and each seeks his own gain.